It's Friday, October 13th, 2023, and this is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellams. Today, Arkansas 211 is working to deliver food directly to doorsteps. You know, it, it's a big deal to know that your kids are going to have dinner. And this is an additional way that our community is stepping up to meet that need for these very vulnerable families. The Ride United Last Mile Delivery is a partnership between nonprofits and DoorDash. Plus, Arkansas State University designs a new way to help students afford college. And considering 50 years of KUAF, from 10 Watt Wonder on. I presented myself as, uh, I think I can help your sports department. Well, you really did. You came in and said you thought you could help our sports department, and I, I basically listened, and I, I told you that I thought that you probably could, and uh, I did not tell you that we didn't have a sports department at the time. <laughs> Michael Tilley will be here to review the week's news and much more. First, this hour's news from NPR. Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art presents live classical music Sunday, October 15th, showcasing world-renowned pianist Vadim Kolodinko, performing masterful renditions of classical compositions on the historical Van Cliburn Steinway concert piano. Tickets at crystalbridges.org. Support for KUAF comes from Westwood Gardens, offering mini and large pumpkins, ornamental squash, and straw bells, as well as pansies for fall decorating. Westwoodgardens.com for more. This is Ozarks at Large for Friday, the 13th, October 13th, 2023. I'm Kyle Kellams. Thanks so much for being with us. We're going to begin this show as we do most Fridays with Michael Tilley, who is with Talk Business and Politics. It's been a busy news week. We're going to see how much we can get uh, covered with Michael. First, Michael, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Just, you know, kick back, wait for the uh, hogs to beat Alabama. Okay. All right. Um, by two o'clock Saturday afternoon, we'll know whether the wait was worth it. Let's yeah. let, let's talk about a conversation you had with uh, Arkansas Senator John Bozeman on Thursday. He was in Fort Smith. What did the two of you discuss? Well, just um, one. He spoke at the uh, Fort Smith Regional Chamber of Commerce annual banquet. Talked about several things. One of them was the uh, Foreign Military Pilot Training Center that's coming to Fort Smith, the Ebbing Air uh, Base that we talked about. And my concern, well, it's not really my concern. It's, it's concern of a lot of people with Congress, um, you know, because Congress is functioning so well, as we all know, um, that there's a potential for another, uh, we're, we're going to hit 35, 33 days. I forget the exact days. We're going to run up against another potential government shutdown. And, you know, the concern is this pilot training center has to be stood up pretty fast because, you know, the, these, the Singapore Germans, they're on a on a timeline next this uh, next year this time or maybe a little later they may start flying in. Well, if there's not money allocated, they've got money now to design and plan and that kind of thing. But if there's not money allocated to, to keep the pipeline to keep the timeline going, what happens? So we had that conversation. Uh, Senator Bozeman is optimistic as he always is that the funding you know that there won't be a kink in the funding pipeline, so to speak. And that it'll uh, that it'll you know go as as planned, but he did say you know if uh, it doesn't, there are other places that pilots can train until Fort Smith um, is ready. And but he was very confident that no matter what, that the center would uh, will be built in Fort Smith and it will be housed in Fort Smith, uh, no matter if there's a, a you know one year funding glitch. So that's the basic conversation and basic part of the 
story. He did talk about doing his speech. He did talk about his, what he called horrific, I think, or horrendous acts in uh, the Middle East and around Israel. I'm going to ask him about you know the possibility of the U.S. being drawn into a wider conflict, and so he had some comments on that. But um, I guess the key point is he is a little bit concerned about the Foreign Pilot Training Center money, but uh, is not concerned that it would cause the center to, to go somewhere else. All right. As I mentioned, you had your conversation with him Thursday. You can look at talk business and politics and, and find Michael's story there. Also kind of breaking late in the week was this uh, announcement about a significant uh, trail that is going to uh, be built in Fort Smith. Right. It, it was a joint announcement by the Arkansas College of Health Education, uh, Fort Chaffee Redevelopment Authority, and ArtVest, uh, which has its sprawling, nice, new corporate campus in Chaffee Crossing. They're partnering to, on the trail network that will connect with the trail network that's existing on parts of Chaffee Crossing and in Ben Garen uh, Regional Park, which is a Sebastian County Park. And it will eventually create this network of 40 miles of trails uh, in and around the college area in Chaffee Crossing, Ben Garen, you know, for bike riding, for hiking, walking, that kind of thing. So it's certainly not a Razorback Greenway type trail, but um, it's a, I mean, 40 miles is, that's a great um, piece of infrastructure. There's been talk, we'll see if it ever happens, there's been talk of connecting all of that into some of the trails and in, um, other other trails that are around the area in Fort Smith, which should create a, you know, a true kind of a metro network like the, the Greenway, the Razorback Greenway is in Northwest Arkansas, but uh, kudos to those parties for bringing that together. Wouldn't it be wonderful if one day that Razorback Greenway connected to the Fort Smith system? That would be amazing. I don't know how they would do it. I'm, there are very smart, much smarter people than I out there that, that know how to make that, but that would be cool as hell. We're going to have a city park in Fort Smith eventually where there it's land that had been owned by Acme Brick Company that the city of Fort Smith has purchased. What do you think this will look like in the future? Well, um going to preface this by saying as a journalist really goes against my grain, my, you know, my character to be optimistic and to be, um, to say something flattering about the city of Fort Smith. But here I go. Yeah. The city is bought, they try to get it donated. They bought, uh, roughly about 113 acres. That was Acme brick, brick property where they, it's part of their quarry where they made the brick, stored them, that kind of thing. The company is no longer using that land. So the city bought it for almost three to two point eight eight million, and but it has the potential, and we'll see if they do it right. They they talked about getting public input and that type of thing, but um, some of it, not all of the acre, not all the one hundred thirteen acres will be parked. There's some stormwater mitigation, drainage things they want to do with part of the property, but it's hopefully we'll have a trail system. We'll have a unique bike. I think one of the things they talk talked about is this. You know, this grab this kind of this more outdoor. I'm drawing a blank on the term, but this bicycle where it's not, you know, it's one of the really rugged bicyclists, right. those trails that they like to use, and um, other amenities. And it's kind of, I wouldn't say smack dab in the middle of the city, but it's it's pretty close to the middle. And it would be, and you're right, at some point, maybe somebody figures out how to connect some of the other parks around the city, you know, Creek Moor down to that park down toward Ben Garen and connect the city, but there's no real timeline on, on this yet, but 
everything we're hearing from the city of Fort Smith and from the Parks and Recreation Commission and Parks Department uh, is very promising. Uh, we're obviously going to uh, keep tabs on it. Um, there'll have to be more money spent, obviously, but it holds a lot of, like I said, I hate to be optimistic <laughs> and, and complimentary, but the city, this may be a real cool thing that, that they pull off. And speaking of keeping tabs, let's let's revisit a story that you and I first discussed a few months ago. Uh, a complaint had been filed about some merit pay received by the Fort Chaffee Redevelopment Authority. There's been a decision made about that. What can you tell us about it? Well, we were kind of challenged by some folks to say, look, you need to look at the pay comparison of Daniel Mann, who's CEO of Fort Chaffee Redevelopment Authority, with other public officials. So we did. Um, we looked at nine public officials in the area, and it turns out, well, it was, it was startling, frankly. Uh, Mr. Mann, his employee... And we and we looked at it on a pay per employee basis, and their and a pay as a percentage of the budget of that organization. And Mr. Mann, the pay per employee, he gets fifty three thousand nine hundred ninety two dollars his salary per employee at Fort Chaffee Development Authority. The next closest was Michael Griffin, he's director of the Fort Smith Regional Airport. His pay per employee was seven thousand six hundred forty seven. That's huge, and then it drops down to under a thousand per employee for the rest mm. uh, of the in, of the public officials. For example, Fort Smith Public School Superintendent Terry Morawski, his pay is just $133 per employee. So it just raises you know a lot of a question, why does one person, why is their salary so high and just so significantly high? Because I fully expected it's all, they, the pay would all be within, you know, a few hundred dollars of each other, but that just wasn't the case. We Gave uh, for Chaffee, we gave Mr. Mann and the chairman of the Chaffee Redevelopment Authority, Dean Gibson, a chance to comment. They sent their comments. It's in the story. They essentially justify it, saying that Mr. Mann has a lot to do with very few people, and he's trying to, you know, wrap up the trust and that kind of thing. But I think um, Sebastian County, you know, Judge Steve Putts and Portsmouth um, Police Chief Danny Baker, they could probably also say the same thing that they're working hard for the money they make. And, but um, anyway, I encourage anyone to go look at it. It's um, startling or alarming, whatever you want to word you want to use. But you know, there, I, I don't think there's anything the public can do about it. The Fort Chaffee Redevelopment Authority, their board of trustees, has approved it. They know his pay is like this, and they say it's justified. All right, you can read about that, about parks, about trails, about Senator Bozeman, and all of that at Talk Business and Politics. And Michael, we will have so much fun discussing the Alabama victory next week. <laughs> All right. People are going to think we're stoned. <laughs> Thank you, sir. <laughs> All right. Bye. And still to come on this Friday, the 13th edition of Ozarks at Large, we finish up our visit with musicians who entered the Arkansas Tiny Desk Contest with a visit 
from Common Roots. We kind of became this group after I had my first kid. Lacey had her first kid about three or four months later. And so it was kind of really just like a stripping down of our music into, okay, what is something that we can continue to do that's sustainable and something that just really gets back to what we want to create. Family, music, and more discuss when Sophie Nurani helps us conclude our series of sit-downs with talented Arkansas musicians. That's still to come on today's Ozarks at Large. Elena Kostruchenko recalls the moment she realized she was being lied to by Russian state media. I read uh, Anna Politkovskaya's article about cleansing of Chechen village by Russian soldiers. I was shocked because it appeared that television lied to me. Her memoir, I Love Russia, and all the latest news Saturday on Weekend Edition from NPR News. Weekend Edition with Scott Simon, tomorrow morning at 7. This is Ozarks at Large. The Arkansas State Supreme Court is giving approval to the passage of the Emergency Clause of the Arkansas Learns Act. Legislators passed the Emergency Clause at the same time they passed the act itself. Yesterday's 6-to-1 ruling by the state's highest court reversed an earlier ruling by a Pulaski County Circuit judge. Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders issued a statement that the ruling is a historic victory for Arkansas parents, teachers, and students. A legislative audit will begin soon over Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders' purchase of a lectern. Yesterday, Republican Senator Jimmy Hickey presented his proposal to the committee on joint auditing. He asked the group to look at the governor's recent purchase of a $19,000 lectern. The purchase was made with a state credit card but reimbursed by the Republican Party of Arkansas after the invoice was publicly requested. Senator Hickey says he felt the timeline was a cause for concern. I know that the Senate that we adjourned on 1002 on the 14th of September, we had a bill signing that was somewhere probably close to noon. And then I found out, you know, even this this week that that reimbursement was actually done the same day that we left. Senator Hickey wanted the audit to clear up the lectern purchase for the public. The full joint auditing committee is scheduled to vote on the proposal today. The Willard and Pat Walker Charitable Foundation is pledging $1 million to the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences Winthrop P. Rockefeller Cancer Institute. The funds will support the Cancer Institute's new Radiation Oncology Center. The center in Little Rock opened in July and accommodates three new linear accelerators that customize radiation delivery based on the type and stage of a patient's cancer. The 2023 edition of Filmland, hosted by the Arkansas Cinema Society, features early chances to see feature films and opportunities to hear from experienced filmmakers. Jeff Nichols, an Arkansas-born director, will screen his latest movie, The Bike Riders, on Sunday. He says an impetus for both the Filmland event in particular and the Arkansas Cinema Society in general is to foster a deeper enthusiasm and a deeper appreciation for filmmaking inside the state. Just when we say filmmaking community, we don't mean people that just want to make films. We, we, we want people that want to talk about films. Um, and, and that can be anybody, you know, they want to have a deeper understanding of how these things are made, how these things that are such a big part of our culture and our society, you know, um, how they actually come together. So the, the audience certainly isn't limited to people who are just interested in making films. I think it's really about starting a broader conversation, um, about film. Catherine Tucker, the executive director of the Arkansas Cinema Society, says since the first Filmland event several years ago, understanding of the industry has improved in Arkansas. Part of what we were doing in our initial years, we were getting turned down for grants because they only supported 
quote, the visual arts. And so the next year we applied, I said, by the way, <laughs> I, I, I did a very nice um, email back to them explaining, you know, that film is, is a visual art and that it also employs visual artists. Events tomorrow include a workshop with Jeff Nichols, who also directed the movies Mud and Loving. That workshop about directing is at 1.30 at the Ron Robinson Theater in Little Rock. At 4 o'clock tomorrow afternoon, Nichols will host a conversation with the chief film critic at Variety, also taking place at Ron Robinson Theater. A full schedule of events can be found at ArkansasCinemaSociety.org. Walmart is moving ahead with plans to construct a second company-owned milk plant. The Bentonville-based retailer says it opened its first milk plant in Indiana in 2018. The new facility will be in Valdosta, Georgia, and ground will be broken later this year. And the 10th-ranked Razorback soccer team now 6-1 and in the SEC after last, last night's 3-0 win over Florida in Fayetteville. This is Ozarks at Large. 211 is a three-digit phone number that connects people with access to human services. Since 2019, 211, headquartered at the United Way of Northwest Arkansas, has been available throughout the state. Callers can quickly gain information about all kinds of human resources, as well as connections to government programs, agencies, and utility companies. Christina Hines, Vice President of Resource and Business Development for Arkansas 211, says there is a top five list of inquiries from callers. Food, rental assistance, utility assistance um, are some of the things most often called for, but we can also connect folks to um, educational opportunities, um, job training, workforce development type things as well. Hines says the service receives about 5,000 calls annually, each caller accessing between two and three resources. There is also 211.org that provides the same kind of help. Now, Arkansas 211 is able to extend services in northwest Arkansas and Little Rock to people's doorsteps. Arkansas 211, the United Way, and DoorDash are partners in the Ride United Last Mile Delivery Program. Arkansas 211 identified nonprofit partners working to close the food gap for their clients. A lot of times, um, our community members can't get to the pantry to access food. And so transportation is actually one of those five issues that we get calls on. And so by um, working with our pantries and then the DoorDash, um, our corporate partner, we are able to fill that transportation gap um, and schedule uh, with our partners the deliveries that are delivered directly to their home on a regular basis to be able to have access to food. Caitlin Gillis, Senior Manager for Strategy and Operations for DoorDash's government and nonprofit teams, says the delivery company is leveraging its business model to work with the nonprofits. Truly deliver anything from food boxes to prepared meals to school supplies, and those get delivered directly to the doorsteps of these families. The partnership is a simple equation of each entity accessing its strengths. The local nonprofits identify and screen clients for the service. Arkansas 211 serves as a liaison, and DoorDash establishes a merchant portal allowing the nonprofits to upload client data like location and time of day for delivery. DoorDash will then send dashers like any other delivery order to that nonprofit and they will pick up these deliveries. And then throughout the process, the clients, the individuals who are receiving these these resources, they'll get text messages along the way letting them know 
when their items are en route, as well as when they've been dropped off, very much similar to a typical DoorDash restaurant delivery. Care Community Center in Rogers is one of the Northwest Arkansas nonprofits working with Arkansas 211 to get food boxes to clients' homes. Kimberly Porter, Care Community Center's executive director, says they began the partnership during the pilot phase, launched during the middle of the pandemic. She says for their clients, there is a peace of mind being delivered along with the food. And we're trying to make sure that families that do not have transportation or maybe they have transportation, but only one vehicle that's being used to get someone back and forth to work um, available, that we're getting those families Families that are considered homeless, that are living um, in a hotel or motel that's, you know, a weekly rental. Um, You know, it's a big deal to know that your kids are going to have dinner. And this is an additional way that our community is stepping up to meet that need for these very vulnerable families. Christina Hines with Arkansas 211 says the program is funded through grants and gifts, including a $100,000 grant from Walmart Foundation announced this summer. She says the current funding is sufficient to keep the program running through the middle of next year. She says by that time, more than 12,000 deliveries will have been made in northwest Arkansas and about 5,000 in Little Rock. Keith Fernandez, head of social impact communications for DoorDash, says the company sees this partnership and similar ones it's doing with other entities as a way to break down barriers. Broaden food access for seniors, for uh, single parents, for folks who may just need a little bit of extra help. And uh, we know that this work is really going to continue to grow uh, and transport not just food, but essential items and uh, really ensure that folks can receive these deliveries in a way that emphasizes dignity, uh, eliminates stigma and helps broaden access in communities nationwide. Christina Hines with Arkansas 211 says being able to have food boxes delivered by cars with DoorDash emblems and signage also allows for the transportation to be done with dignity. And while the program mostly sends out food boxes, it can allow for some additional items. At times, I know that they've, you know, added books to it. Um, mm. So they've added, um, you know, recipes and, and information about healthy cooking into it. So there's always the, the ability to continue to educate that family as well. Um, school supplies have been delivered in the past. Um, I know during holiday times, there's some additional items. And for the clients participating through Care Community Center in Rogers, Kimberly Porter says the service can be nothing less than a lifeline. This was a game changer for our families that we serve, especially during the pilot when it started during COVID. Um, And I just, you know, I can't express enough thanks to DoorDash, the funders, United Way. Um, It's very difficult when a family cannot get to you and you can't figure out how to remove that barrier. Um, and I'm, I'm hopeful that we continue to do this beyond this grant cycle. Christina Hines says Arkansas 211 continues to look for corporations, foundations, and individuals to support the Ride United Last Mile Delivery Program. You can learn more about it at Arkansas211.org. This is Ozarks at Large. Can I hear your Italian accent? Well, see, if I'm going to do a real Italian accent, I'm going to break all the levels in this mic because (laughs) Italians around me are, they're not afraid to get loud. You know, it's like a jolt of cappuccino. I'm Brittany Luce. Why bad accents actually make a movie better. Next time on It's Been a Minute from NPR. 
It's been a minute tomorrow morning at 10. This is Ozarks at Large. It's time to welcome Becca Martin-Brown, features editor of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette, back to the show. Becca, how are you doing? Carl, I'm confused. Okay, perhaps I can help. What are you confused about? Why? I feel like I'm in central Arkansas, but I don't know why. You are in central Arkansas. This concludes the second week of Ozarks at Large being on Little Rock Public Radio, KUAR, weeknights at 7. Um, uh, a sign of future collaborations, of current and future collaborations between uh, public radio stations in Arkansas. Let's talk about what's going on in Mountain View. Mountain View and Stone County, what's happening there? You know that Mountain View has, still has, a drive-in movie theater. One of two, I think, left in the state. It dates back to, like, 1960-something. They've just done a bunch of renovations in the last three years. Mm -hmm. And guess who's going to be there this weekend and the next weekend and the weekend after that? I have no idea. Taylor Swift, kind of. Oh, the concert movie in a drive-in. That's wonderful. Yes. They are showing the concert movie at the Stone Drive-In in Mountain View. Awesome. And they're doing all the stuff to go with it. They're going to have a place to make friendship bracelets, and they're going to have photo ops, and they're going to have merch, and they're going to have overnight camping. This happens every weekend night through November 5th. They had to commit to, like, four weekends. I don't think they're going to have a problem selling tickets. The tickets are nineteen eighty nine for adults, which is the name of an album of Taylor's. Yes, right, and thirteen thirteen for kids because lucky number thirteen. Well, I thought her lucky number now was eighty seven, but what <laughs> do I know? Anyway, what a fun thing to do if you didn't get to see the heiress to her live. Right, sit out under the stars, sing out loud. It'll be great. Or. You can go to Little Rock to the Arkansas State Fair, but don't just go for the livestock or the concerts or the rides. Go for the food. What's your favorite Arkansas State Fair food? Well, Kat Robinson, who Uh is an Arkansas food expert and one of our columnists and one of my favorite crazy people, says this year is the year of the waffle. All right. That was not the answer I was expecting. But there are also things like Barbie and canned corn. It's dyed pink or blue with, like, sprinkles. Mm-hmm. And if you get there at 11 o'clock in the morning, you get in free. You can have lunch. You can't have lunch free, but what? you can get in free. That's a good deal. And you can read more in yesterday's Our Town section of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette because she breaks out all the new fair food, all the favorites that are being brought back. Right. Past the Pepto. <laughs> right. And then there's my personal favorite. If you go just past Conway tomorrow uh-huh. and you take a left on Arkansas 36, you'll end up in Enola, which is a tiny little town. But on Saturday, it'll be the biggest name in the state because that's where the Arkansas Bigfoot Conference is. And for our new listeners in central Arkansas, you should know that Becca Martin-Brown has a fascination with Bigfoot. I do, but I'm not... Clearly, I am not the only person who does, or they wouldn't have an Arkansas Bigfoot conference. Well put. Yes, you are correct. According to the guy who founded the Arkansas Primate Evidence Society, APES for short, Uh Bigfoot evidence has been reported in all 75 counties in Arkansas, 
although by far the most reported place is Miller County, the the legend of Boggy Creek. I see. I see. So if you would like to go to the Arkansas Bigfoot Conference, it's just $12 to get in. It's 10 to 5 tomorrow at the elementary school in Enola. And you can email the Apes founder, Robert Swain, Mm -hmm. at hotmail.com and find out more about his organization. So there's three very unusual things that you could do for your weekend. I like it. Or you could do some more ordinary things in northwest Arkansas and the River Valley, like Vintage Market Days is this weekend at the Benton County Fairgrounds in Bentonville. The Farmers and Artisans Market Nonprofit Carnival, I think it's the last Farmers and Artisans Market of the season, is tomorrow at Chaffee Crossing in Fort Smith. I'm not sure which category this one goes in. Tomorrow is the Wiener or Corgi Takes All races. And is this in Bella Vista? Yes. Yeah. At 10 o'clock at the softball field on Glasgow Road, it benefits the Bella Vista Animal Shelter. And this year they've added a whole category of the races for corgis. But it's still corgis v. corgis and dachshunds versus dachshunds. I mean, they're not... I believe so. I do okay. not believe that we've mixed them up. Okay. Because corgis do have longer legs. Yes, yes, although indeed. not by much. There's also the Murder and Mayhem Haunted Hayride and Progressive Dinner in Fort Smith. You can find out more about that at the Fort Smith Museum of History. The Fort Smith Symphony tomorrow night has songs from Nashville. Right. The country music performance of the year at seven. And 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 like all of their performances, they've got that party afterward at the bakery district. It's a whole thing. Or you can go to the Johnny Cash official concert experience Saturday or Sunday at the Walton Arts Center in Fayetteville, where the man in black will virtually be there. And last but certainly not least, the Rocky Horror Picture Show is showing at 10 o'clock Saturday night at the Eureka Springs City Auditorium. Tis the season, isn't it? I love weird. Yeah. I promise not to be this weird next week. Becca Martin-Brown, Features Editor of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. She's with us almost every Friday. Becca, have a wonderful, weird weekend. We'll talk to you next Friday. Thank you so much. Welcome, Central Arkansas. Hi, I'm Emerson Alexander, coordinator for KUAF's Listening Lab. The Listening Lab is a space for honest and intimate conversations from our community. This year, KUAF is celebrating its 50th anniversary of being on the air. And for the occasion, we've invited some KUAF alumni to share their stories about how their lives were impacted by their time here at the station. Well, hello. I'm Larry Foley. I'm a professor of uh, journalism at the University of Arkansas, and I am here with the first guy I ever met in broadcasting, my good friend, Frank Thomas. Frank? Thank you, Larry. Uh, You and I have traveled a lot of miles since we first (laughs) met. Many miles. To to say the least. Uh, I just retired as an executive at Stevens Incorporated in Little Rock, but we first met, I want to say, was 1974? I think that's right. I've been uh, trying to think about it, and I think it was probably spring, semester, winter of 74. I was the student news director at the original KUAF, and uh, it was upstairs of an old house at 103 North Duncan Street. And um, you came up the stairs and basically offered your services as a volunteer. Well, I think that as as I recall the story as you tell it, is that I came in and said, I'm Larry Foley. Now, listen, here's the backstory of that. I sucked up every bit of courage that I could just to walk in that door. 
because I hadn't been on campus long and, and I had no self-confidence at all. And as you tell it, I presented myself as, uh, I think I can help your sports well, department. Well, you really did. You came in and said you thought you could help our sports department. And I, I basically listened and I, I've told you that I thought that you probably could. <laughs> and uh, I did not tell you that we didn't have a sports department at the time <laughs> and that anything you wanted to do was going to be fine with us. I don't think we knew what we were doing or what we were starting 50 years ago, but I think we all hoped it would still be here in some form, and it is. Not only is it here, but it's thriving, and I doubt if they'll uh, you know, erect any monuments to either one of us around here, but I think we can take a point of pride that, that we played a part in laying the foundation that this region now enjoys today. But we didn't do anything or say anything that got them in so much trouble that they pulled the license. That's, that's one thing. But they run this little bit that says, um, you're listening to KUAF, a service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. And I just swell up with pride every time I hear that. And I'm so glad that KUAF is not just around and thriving, but it's still connected to the J School. Well, I, radio was fun, still is fun, and I, I'm convinced you know, television has its place. We both did television. But if you really want to talk about the fun you had oh, in your right. career, there was nothing like radio. Right. All right, I'm Chatty Cumpy platt former membership director of KUF, here with Rhonda Dillard, the underwriting director to the stars. Whatever. <laughs> former underwriting director at this lovely public radio station. Yes, yes. And and what year did you start working here, Rhonda? Oh, Chatty. Uh, let's see. It's got to be 94. 94? 94. Okay. 1994. It's 97. Yeah. So basically, you started working here the same year that we started Alter Suede. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Exactly. Yeah. So, and after you'd been working here for uh, several years, you told me about an opening that was happening. I did. And uh, I applied for the job yeah. and interviewed with Rick Stockdale and got the job. Yes. It was Thank goodness. On Dixon Street in the old brick building. And uh, we had a lot of fun together. We had lots of fun. We still have a lot of fun <laughs> we together. Do. We do. <laughs> but some of the things that we did when we were here, well, uh, started the NPR Society. Mm-hmm. You did and indeed. I was listening to the fundraiser today, and still many of the very same names that were yeah. original members of the National Public Radio Society at KUF are still, well, there's a challenge grant with Charles Wilkins and oh, Ingrid yeah. Fritch right now. And they were some of the very first members. Denise and Hershey Garner, the Applegates, um, the Carvers, mm-hmm. uh, so many wonderful people in this community that uh, whose names are on the radio station now. Yeah, and they continue to support KUAF and and thank goodness, you know, thank goodness for them and, and all the uh, up-and-coming donors as well. So so when we were working here, of course, P.J. Rabowski mm-hmm. was the music director. Kyle, still the news director. Oh, yeah. Pete Hartman was a young, crazy intern punk. Oh, my skateboard gosh. punk. I, st- I have photos of him <laughs> that I should hold for some sort of ransom yes i mean exactly some sort of blackmail i suppose but they're great photos they're awesome jennifer fulford always did yeah. such a wonderful job at the writing project the oh, yeah. writing project and uh <laughs> you cultivated so many relationships 
for for KUAF that are that are still around. It's still long lasting. It's really amazing. That's what made me so happy to to hear all those names during the fundraiser. Still, yeah. still contributing. Still challenging other p- new people to become mm-hmm. members. And and goodness knows we got to have that lifeblood of new members coming in. Absolutely. Fifty years. Can you now, we that? haven't been around all those 50 years, right, Rhonda? <laughs> no, but close. I mean, by Jove, it's probably 35 or 40 in between there somewhere. And you've seen it change and grow. I remember oh, when we were the 10-watt yeah. wonder, and it really wasn't that long after I started that we went to 100,000 watts, yeah. and that was a big deal. Up on that mountain, Mount Doyle, our engineer, would have yeah. to get out there and tromp around and climb up that <laughs> tower. Knock the ice off. Yeah. The literally. ice was always our enemy. Where do you see the station going in the next 50 years? Well, that's that's a tough question because it's changed so much just since we were here. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. We'll all have, like, NPR implants in our head. <laughs> <laughs> we might. You never know. So that... Whenever you move around, yeah. the, st- the stream changes and uh, gives you the weather wherever you are. But then whatever's happening around the corner from you, it's being reported on by the little, <laughs> the little transistor in your head. You can tug an ear and change stations. Yeah. There you go. Conversations recorded in the KUAF Listening Lab at the Carver Center for Public Radio. We just heard former KUAF membership director Chatty Platt talking with former KUAF underwriting director Rhonda Dillard. Before that, an excerpt from a conversation between Larry Foley and Frank Thomas. Frank and Larry met as students at the first KUAF studio on Duncan Avenue on the University of Arkansas campus. The conversations are part of our oral history of the first 50 years of KUAF radio from 10-watt wonder to the 100,000-watt NPR affiliate we are now. And you can find out more about our listening lab at listeninglab.com. KUAF.com. Arkansas State University in Jonesboro recently announced a new scholarship program that aims to provide free tuition to a majority of Arkansans. KASU's Marty Scarborough spoke to the university's chancellor, Dr. Todd Shields, about the new A-State Promise Plus scholarship program. Big picture concept. Explain what the A-State Promise Plus scholarship is. Sure. Well, when we were looking at you know, the financial situation that's hitting most Arkansans and actually the country right now, too. And you look at the average family making $53,000 a year. One of the things I wanted to do is really be strategic about the scholarships that we give out. I think that in the past we've given them out, but we've not necessarily been strategic about what are we trying to do? What are we trying to accomplish? And we really realized that if you take, you know, the Arkansas Lottery Scholarship, and if you take the federal grant money that most students that we take in, apply for because they're first generation students generally, um, we could cover the rest of the tuition for them. Um, And we're unlike a lot of institutions where they have a lot of fees associated, you know, that they don't necessarily include. Mm -hmm. Um, So you get the tuition, but then you get another bill for fees. We don't have a lot of fees. What you see in tuition is what you get. Um, And so that was really exciting to be able to say, hey, we can respond to the needs of Arkansans right now with this A-State Plus scholarship, okay. Promise Plus. Well, okay, so elaborate for me a little bit. How is this different than other financial assistance that's been provided to students in the past? So it's different in the past in the sense that this one's also incentivizing students to live on campus because you're going to get $2,500 toward your on-campus housing 
your first year. And then if you stay in your sophomore, junior, senior years, then you can get up to 4,500 as long as you stay eligible. And that's really an incentive because we know that students that live on campus do much better, not only in terms of their GPA, but just being involved and then learning more about things that they need to do to succeed when they leave. And they're much more likely to graduate. So we wanted to incentivize behaviors that we knew would help them. Okay. Well, I know that there are other uh, institutions in our region that have instituted kind of similar programs. Mm -hmm. Uh, Was that a factor in A-State deciding to come up with this? Actually, you know, it's something that we really, I don't know when others started thinking about it. We started thinking about it last spring, Um, but we ran so many different models. We wanted to make sure that, you know, over the last five years, if everybody that qualified said, yes, we want it and came and enrolled, could we afford it? Could we do it? Um, so we really took our time. Uh, we presented it to the board, you know, just about about a month ago. Uh, the board of trustees were really excited about it. Um, there's some accountants and some bankers and really smart businessmen and women on that um, board, too. And they really wanted to look through the numbers as well. And we wanted them to in case we'd missed something. Uh, but, you know, we... We were planning to roll this out starting last spring. We just didn't know the specifics of it yet. Well, that's a big question that I've heard people asking related to this. Okay, where's the funding coming from? Is it just restructuring what you're currently doing or is is. it a new source? No, there's no new source. This was, you know, so there, you know, I was a little surprised when I was, you know, pulling apart the onion of our scholarship strategy. I realized that it was just a little bit here and a little bit there and a little over there. But it really wasn't coordinated in, in, in a sense that would help. How would we fulfill our mission? Uh, our mission of educating kids primarily in the Delta, primarily first-generation students. How do we how do we fulfill that mission? Can we put these together so that we can do that? And that's really so. It's not new money. It's not us even spending more money. It's just us being strategic about what we're doing to begin with. Okay, so uh, will this be kind of streamlining the entire scholarship application process, it'll both make for students? Yes, it'll make everything much easier for students. It'll be much easier for um, guidance counselors to explain. Uh, it'll be uh, much easier for us to explain with the students when they come to pack preview days. Much easier for parents to understand that sort of thing. So it'll streamline a lot. You set a threshold that the household income had to be $70,000 or less. Mm -hmm. What was the idea behind making that choice and setting it at that standard? Well, it was a financial decision that we weren't, you know, if we find out that we could afford more, we'll we'll look at that again. Um, But we're thinking we want to make sure that we could afford it. We promise it to somebody. We want to make sure we can do it. Um, But it was also a standard deviation above what the average Arkansas is making. Um, And so that was guiding our decision there. And we also didn't want to turn away from the merit-based scholarships that we already have. So we still are maintaining all of our merit-based scholarships that we've always had before. We could have pulled some of that away and put it into this, but we wanted to have both. So we had a merit scholarships are still there and then a need-based as well. That was Arkansas State Chancellor Todd Shields speaking with Marty Scarborough with our partner station KASU in Jonesboro about the A-State Promise Plus Scholarship. This is Ozarks at Large.
This is Ozarks at Large for Friday the 13th. We are concluding KUAF's Membership Appreciation Week tonight at Black Apple Cidery on Emma Avenue in downtown Springdale. It's from 6 until 8. You're invited. Come on out and have fun with us. We'll have some trivia with winners receiving some KUAF prizes. And each edition of our show this week, we have delivered a question with the answer that will be part of tonight's contest. It's to give you a head start on the scoring. One of our five categories will be Famous Emmas, since we're celebrating on Emma Avenue. And this one, this one's a multiple choice. Emma Darwin was Charles Darwin's first cousin. What else was she? One of these three. His neighbor, his biographer, or his wife? Yep, the answer, his wife. That's one of the questions tonight at Black Apple Cidery. Our trivia uh, contest will help us conclude KUAF Membership Appreciation Week. It's 6 to 8 tonight at Black Apple. You are invited. Dozens of Arkansas musicians entered the 2023 NPR Tiny Desk Contest, a nationwide search for unsigned talent. Arkansas's three NPR member stations collaborated on a series of conversations with the artists who entered this year's contest. Here's KUAF's Sophia Narani. I'm Jeremy Morris. And I'm Lacey Hampton. And we are the two members of Common Roots. We're both singer-songwriters, so uh, we both kind of bring our own individual influences into the mix with the different songs that we write. I would say other uh, duo groups that focus heavily on, you know, duo harmonies um, have definitely influenced us. Uh, One particular one would be the Civil Wars. Uh, They definitely have those like tight knit harmonies and uh and also kind of trading off uh lead vocals that we engage in a lot so they're definitely one big influence and also that rustic acoustic americana style of theirs is kind of what we're going for as well yeah what prompted you guys to enter the tiny desk contest um, well, me, yeah, yeah. Uh, Lacey was the one that saw it and, uh, you know, she, she definitely wanted to enter. I, I, you know, didn't really know anything about it up until she pointed it out to me. But. Yeah. So we had already done some recording and, um, had some songs that we were wanting to release. So it kind of served as a dual purpose. We were able to release the song and, uh, and make a video and have a desk behind us. So it was pretty pretty seamless to make it happen and i've definitely seen a lot of the tiny desk concerts in the past and just have really enjoyed the vibe of them i recently saw one with imogen heap where she was playing this instrument where she like used her hands and positioning connected to a computer to make the different tones that she was singing with it's just a lot of really unique things come out of tiny desk i think so do you want to talk a little bit more about the song that you chose for your entry and the story behind it why you picked that one in particular was it just because you were releasing it at the time and it was convenient or well um we we've been very heavily into writing for the past few years um we've been trying to record anything that we can um, but Can't Let Go, which is the song that we submitted to the Tiny Desk Contest, was really kind of the first Common Roots song that um, that really was just this group. You know, we, we've been in music groups in the past with, you know, various instruments and various members, um, but this is kind of us coming back to our... A little bit on the nose, but coming back to our roots. <laughs> um, 
And so we kind of became this group after I had my first kid. Lacey had her first kid about three or four months later. And so it was kind of really just like a stripping down of our music into, okay, what is something that we can continue to do that's sustainable and something that just really gets back to what we want to create. And uh, that was Common Roots and Can't Let Go was the first real song that came out of that project. And the song is uh, mostly just kind of about couples that basically lose the ability to communicate with each other, whether it's uh, someone that thinks that they're maybe falling out of the relationship or someone that is still committed to the relationship but won't express the issues you know, that are underlying it. You know, one of the big moments of the song, um, throughout the song, it's saying, I can't let go of you now that I want to. And then at the very end of the song, it says, well, I can't let go of you now that I have to. And it's kind of about saying what needs to be said before you can't anymore, before it does no good. And just kind of communication and relationships being that thing that really needs to be solid. So tell me a little bit about your connection to the state of Arkansas. Are you guys both native to the area or? We, um, Lacey was born in, in Little Rock, Little Rock yeah. um, and lived there very, very, brief, very briefly <laughs> as a baby. Uh, so uh, she doesn't remember um, living there when she was very little. And we lived in, I was born in Texas, um, but we moved to Arkansas when I was seven and Lacey would have been 10. Uh, we graduated from Arkansas high schools. I went to Springdale High School and Jeremy graduated from Bentonville High School. Graduated from U of A. People ask us where we're from and I just say Northwest Arkansas in general yeah. <laughs> just because it's all it's all kind of one thing and it's becoming more and more one thing every single day. Each has its own flair, but it's just there's no there's no borders anymore really. It's just everything is Northwest Arkansas now. I was going to ask you a little bit about your experience with the music scene and how you've seen it evolve in your time as a musician in the area, especially in the past like 5 years. Definitely. Uh well, yeah, we've been we've been playing in Northwest Arkansas for over a decade now and uh just the some of our favorite places have come and go and that's always sad but so we have to find the new places mm -hmm. but we've really in the last couple of years have found like our favorite favorite places and um our favorite places are always the ones that have people actually tuned into the music and that's kind of hard to find um especially i think in Fayetteville it's more college yep. scene mm -hmm. but um and just finding a place that the chairs are turned toward the stage and there's interaction we had a really great show at gotta hold brewing a couple days ago um that's in eureka and yeah. even the one of the guys from the little rock um npr station was there and um but just people were laughing at our jokes it's it's just very life-giving mm -hmm. um a lot of places where you're playing and it's just feels like your background noise and that's that's okay too we'll play those gigs too but mm. It's just really nice to have those good ones where it just feels like this is why I why I do this and well and I'm making a connection with yeah. the people that are here. And you know, playing in Northwest Arkansas for the past ten years, you know, not only have the venues evolved, but also our music has evolved and different venues obviously kind of cater more towards specific sounds and so 
when we were with our, you know, four piece alternative rock band, aisle 24, you know, we, we definitely had specific venues that we really enjoyed playing. You know, Georgia's majestic lounge was always such a great venue to play and it still is. Um, but, uh, with our sound now it is, um, I think our niche has kind of become more of the kind of laid back atmospheres, you know, wineries, breweries, um, coffee shops, that, that kind of thing. Um, but also it's just really exciting to see the way that Northwest Arkansas has evolved, um, for music, you know, uh, 10 years ago, you know, when I, I, you know, I graduated from high school in Bentonville music venues didn't exist in Bentonville at that time. Like Bentonville had no nightlife and, uh, and Bentonville has just evolved so quickly over the past, you know, decade or so to where Bentonville, you know, definitely some places in Bentonville are our favorite places to play now. Yeah, um, I feel like we should give a shout out to our, to city sessions too. They're mm-hmm. in, mostly centered in Bentonville, but they do stuff all over Northwest Arkansas, but they, they really hone in on what we are talking about, about building audiences that are there for the music. And um, they put together the Home Sweet, uh, Home Home Sweet, Sweet Home, Home Festival every April. And we got to play our first one of those this past year. Um, I've played with my other band, Dandelion Heart. They do house concerts and neighborhood concerts, and they bring people from out of, out of town to partner with people locally. And, uh, yeah, they're really a really awesome organization. Mm-hmm. That's very so where can we find you? We're on Facebook, Instagram. Um, we have a website that's commonrootsmusic.com. Instagram is commonrootsband, and Facebook is facebook.com slash... Something. Common, <laughs> Common Roots. Roots, something like that. Um, and then uh, we do have some music out there on all streaming platforms, Apple Music, Spotify, anything like that, Pandora. But uh, we actually have a new single coming out this Friday, which is the 8th. Uh, um, and uh, it's a new single called Falling For You. Um, and, yeah, we're really excited about that as well. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing it. Thanks. All right. Thank you so much. Three Arkansas favorites are set to grace the stage chosen by our panel of judges from over 40 entries. Get ready for performances by Common Roots, a folk ensemble from Fayetteville, Lead Pipe Conservatory Band, a folk pop band from Harrison, and Ethel Tamara featuring Concrete Rose, an R&B band from Helena, West Helena. Join us on Friday, October 13th at 6 p.m. at the Hall in Little Rock for Arkansas Tiny Desk Contest 2023. For tickets, visit littlerockpublicradio.org. The duo Common Roots talked with Sophie Narani. We'll welcome another musician to our studios next week. Bonnie Montgomery will talk to us about her new album and much more. That's on our Tuesday edition of Ozarks at Large. Ozarks at Large is a production of 91.3 KUAF Fayetteville. Contributors today included Michael Tilley, Becca Martin-Brown, and Sophie Narani. Our thanks to the always brilliant news team at KUAR for their assistance today as well. Our theme is titled The First Hurrah. It is written and performed by Daryl Sean. Just put Daryl's name into a search engine to find out more about his solo and group projects. Daryl Sean, his most recent solo CD titled Still Here. Back with y'all in Northwest Arkansas Sunday morning for Weekend Ozarks at Large. Back with everybody Monday for a new week of shows. Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art presents the final season of Listening Forest. 
Guests are invited to explore an interactive world of light, sound, and wonder in this immersive nighttime experience. Open through December 31st. Tickets at crystalbridges.org.